Stall It with Darren and Joe. A Go Loud original. Proudly supported by Smithix. Try a pint of Smithix and experience the indescribable deliciousness for yourself. Available in all major bars, pubs and retailers. Smithix. Indescribably delicious since 1710. Enjoy responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Would you like to come and stall it? Ah, would you just stall it, look? I'd like to come and stall it. I'm not really in the mood. Well, come on and bleed and stall it. Yeah, house hatcher. I'm not a house hatcher. We'll stall it for the crack. We're gonna have a laugh. How are you doing? Grand, the, I wasn't asking you, I was asking the, the listeners at home how are, how are they doing? I know how you're doing Welcome to Stala episode 44 Stala is a Go Loud original podcast Proudly sponsored by Smithix Grab a point of Smithix if you get a chance But visit drinkaware.ie to know all about responsible drinking How are you doing listeners at home? Welcome to Stala episode Number four. It's not an. Ep- it's a special episode. It's a very special episode because we have a very special guest, Mr. Noel Breslin, in the building, aka Brezzy. Brezzy. Are you lads? Is it Noel? Will we call you Noel or Brezzy? Whatever you want. Do you like to be called Brezzy? I don't know. It's the brand. It's the brand. It's the brand. They they, they threw it like, at me as a kid, and I've never yeah. sh- shaken it off. Yeah. Brezza. I don't ever go Brezza. The other one was Big Face. Was my other nickname. Big Face. I took Brezzy very quickly. Big Face. I don't. Yeah. What, what I mean, I think. Obviously, I had a slightly big face when I was young. You yeah. grew into it. Oh, I grew big face it. too. Proportional, I was. We have a sort of similar. We do. Do we? It's almost the same. Not the look. Are looks you saying like, that you just, look like Brendan? No, just like the. Maybe the. Same big count, like it's. Yeah, the big head. The, the big Harry Maguire slab head, they count, call it. Yeah. These days. Now are you saying that Brezzy has a Harry Maguire slab head? Well, I have a slab head. And you're saying that you have a similar head? Well, he said he has his big face, so. <laughs> he, he said it, not me. Right. He didn't say Hardy Burgoyer's slap. It was, it was either Brezzy or Big Face. So take your pick. <laughs> Welcome Brezzy, to the episode. Brezzy. Here we go. Hey, Brezzy. <laughs> Speaking of compliments, you were, you were about to compliment us before we started the, the podcast. You were saying how important comedy was so during the lockdown. The podcast. So, yeah, yeah and, now, and now we're in it. Are we, in that, are we actually in that bracket? I don't know. What, comedy? Yeah. Sort so of. It's, it's debatable. <laughs> I don't know how subjective but you definitely are and I just say what I was saying with the whole thing was like I think in the kind of intensity of it all like, it, like you know you can say what you want whatever your opinion of the pandemic and lockdown it was intense it was really intense and people hadn't a clue what was going on everything we read was intense everything we you know we witnessed was intense so I think comedy became this kind of brilliant vehicle to kind of just slightly diffuse it a little bit and also what I always think comedy is brilliant that is taking stuff that people probably may not have any interest in, like politics or other things, and actually make it accessible. Yeah. And, and turn it around, you're like, well, actually, mm. I listened to that now. And even, like, yourselves and even Sean Burke was doing stuff on, like, yeah, house, yeah. house prices. You know, people who mightn't... He was able to tell it in a way that kind of took the heat out of it a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's what comedy did throughout the whole... It's, it's always done that, but in the pandemic yeah. especially, when it was needed the most. I've done it with Sinn Féin. <laughs> yeah, you did, yeah. Gaffs. You're literally the... Uh, Kind of Sinn Fein lobby group <laughs> <laughs> for me since. Yeah, no, no, I think. But well, I mean, that was. But even that, all, all joking aside, it even that kind of does. It makes people take an interest in it and, and make maybe, you know, comedy can sometimes 
take subjects that, and it's always done that, has yeah. taken subjects that people don't want to talk about and made them accessible and easy to understand. Yeah. Also, I think just people had a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that I was like, I'm not going to be doing that now. So might as well just post a couple of vids. <laughs> Arson around me, how's doing yeah. nothing anyway. Well, that's that. Like, I was doing podcasts like because like I was living. I went home with my parents. I remember the first week when we were kind of going, they're, they're going to lock it down. Like, never heard anything like this. Really, like a, a movie, this, is, wasn't this it? is this must be really freaking serious. Mm. And I was. I was in Dublin and I rang my sisters and brothers and said, listen, well, I can work remotely. Like, if mum, will I go down to mum and dad? Like, so they said, yeah, you go home. <laughs> I got the I got the baton and I went home. And I remember then about two weeks later, it was like, if you're over 70, don't leave the house, kind of literally don't leave the house. And I was like, Jesus, if they didn't already feel vulnerable, they're yeah, being told yeah. they're, they're really vulnerable, they can't leave the house. So then that was me for 12 months. I stayed there and kind of had to, De facto had the kind of cocoon as well because there's no point in them cocooning and me waltzing around the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I set up the podcast in my own little shitty old childhood bedroom, like and put mattresses and duvets and everything to soundproof. And that's how I started it. That was the point. Did like, you cocoon for tw- twelve months? Yes. Did you? Yeah. yeah. When I say Jesus. cocoon, like one of us had to go shopping. Yeah. So I I would do yeah. the shopping. I go down shopping at like eight o'clock in the morning. My mum would wash the stuff when I brought it back. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. But it was that like. At that point, we didn't know. Mm. And, you know, you'd loads of people saying different things, but I sort of like, listen, I'm just keeping my focus on my two parents. Uh, they couldn't be getting it. And then my uncle got it very, very early, and it, it killed him. And I remember then going, whoa, like, this is, this, you really hit home then. Because, like, I remember how fast it was with him, you know, it was, it was a day or two when he, after he got yeah. COVID, and that was it. So that kind of woke me up, and my parents was like, right, we have to be really fucking careful here, lads, and we got, we got to look after them. So that's what we did, but luckily we got them through and neither of mm. them got it. And now you're here? Now I'm here. This may one of my you're second f- or third times in Dublin. In Dublin. You were yeah. saying that, yeah? <laughs> I feel like I'm a school tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going down to McDonald's or Collins Street <laughs> after this. That was our school tour. It's like I came to Dublin and realised, you know, posh Dublin school kids went skiing in the south of France. We went to yeah. McDonald's Street. That was our school tour. Was it? Oh, yeah. Off on McDonald's Street. We'd go into McDonald's and... Some days we were brought to the zoo, but it really depended. Like if yeah. the, the if Christian brothers could have been arsed at that point, going, oh, fuck <laughs> they've had their we, McDonald's, and we come home with McDonald's, and that's it. We'd be delighted with life. We used yeah, to go to Fort Lucan. Remember Fort Lucan? Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I do what? it. Fort Lucan was um, that's the big adventure place beside the, the Garda place, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's it's just, remember in my Coca- head, Co- is that the Coca Cola store? No, Lara, the, that's no, that's a different Lara. thing. The Coca the Coca Cola Museum was a place where you just. It was uh, was it a museum or just no, a factory? The Coca Cola Slide, the Coca Cola Slide. It was called. It was in Fort Mosny. That's Mosny. No, no, they wouldn't have brought us to Mosny. No, no, no the skill wouldn't have brought us. I never think the Clara Lara. Is there ever a question? It's like a lake up the Wicklow Mountains that you were brought to in February, yeah. and the teacher was like, "Off you go." I was like, "I'm not fucking jumping in that." Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> supposed to be a holiday, <laughs> and you're like, and you had to pay for it. So yeah. Clara Lara was the one we were like, "Oh Jesus Christ, don't bring us to Clara Lara." Yeah, that like was in Wicklow, wasn't it? I, yeah, I think yeah, so. The mountain. There, there was one I'm saying about the Coca-Cola slide and you got a token when you went in to either go on the Coca-Cola slide, which was a, a death trap, or else play mini golf, crazy golf. So I used to play crazy golf because there were stories floating around that some kid died on it and everyone believed it. In Clara, in Clara Larda? It was one of them. Fort Lucan. Oh, Fort Lucan. Is no. it Fort Lucan? Maybe we can clarify where the Coca-Cola slide is. Well, it's not Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even... I, I think like, yeah. there was just a logo that said Coca-Cola. But think about it. Do you know the like, way things have got so like safety conscious? Like There was nothing that just didn't exist. It was yeah. like off his go. It was, yeah. it was full throttle. There was no... 
walk, walking down O'Connell Street with like five quid or whatever you were given for the whole thing. And there was like 30 kids, no teachers with us or anything. We were yeah. like seven or eight years of age, just wonder, wandering in and out of like McDonald's. Where were you coming up from? Mullingar? Yeah, yeah. Mullingar. So but we'd, we'd be coming up like, and it was, I remember I always tell the story years ago of coming up and the minute we got past Luke and you just got bowled, you got excited because you were in Dublin and we used to like, like pull Moonies out of the bus. You know, this typical shit. And, uh, typical shit. We pull a Moonies. We just, we, we, me and my mate Owen Kelly were in the back seat and uh, it was Christian Brothers were all up the front and I said, Kelly, come on, we'll start, we'll start, we'll start mooning out the back and it was really wet. That's all I remember. So it was all the condensation and all the bus. <laughs> So we kept mooning and every time the Christian brothers, we'd, we'd sit back down and, and they wouldn't see us. And then when the Christian brothers called us, was like, Brad, Len, are you, are you pulling Mooney? He's like, nope. And he literally could see my arse perfectly imprinted into the the, the, the back what he was saying. Oh, oh my like, God. The, you know, that's your arse, Mooney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mooney, that's your arse. <laughs> yeah, you so don't want to be pulling Moonies around the Christian brothers. So I got no McDonald's that day. Wouldn't no. McDonald's, no. So really? That, Did you yeah, have to stand out that, that, that was it. That it's was the end of it. getting the cane, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was the letter we used to get. People think, oh, that's bullshit. It's, we were still, I, I, you know, the talk of corporal punishment and this and the other. In the kind of 80s, the primary school, St. Mary's in Mullingar, it was carnage. Like, there were lads who were pop shots at you the whole time. I'm not laughing at it because it was sinister shit, like, but you, it, it wasn't gone, you know. And I remember the Christian Brothers were just, some of the lay teachers weren't, weren't much better at the time. But uh, I've talked about it in the podcast a lot. Madness to think of it. I remember being hit with a letter, you know, across the, ch- the chin for eating in class. There were skips though, so you were re- irresistible, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they melt in the tongue. Sizzling away on your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> They're class though. Yeah. I haven't you seen them in a while. You wouldn't be caught eating mayonnaise, some crunch off them. Yeah. Mm. Jeez, yeah. yeah. No, I used, to, the, I used to work in the tuck shop in the school and you would fleece it. Like you'd fleece the place like the people had to come in. It's my first kind of kind of journey into entrepreneurship was the, the tuck shop in St. Mary's. And we used to, like, everything about it, every, like, for every maybe 50p you get, 20 was in the arse pocket. That's just the way it was. So oh, that's the money? How, You'd rob the money? Oh, yeah, yeah, we weren't being paid. Like, <laughs> we're kind of, As you do, like. Were you? And then, but we'd always put it back into the shop because we just buy stuff then. Oh, so. It's called reinvesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. I mean, it was... Taking and giving back. It's good business, really. Yeah. It's clever. <laughs> yeah, it's very clever. I thought you meant... You sold sweets. You didn't sell sweets in the tuck shop. It was just pairs and rubbers and all, no? No, no, we had everything. We went for big time bars. We had uh, every array of crisps from Burger Bites to Meanies to, to you know, Ryder Over bars. Everything yeah, yeah. that was... We had that as yeah, well. Wow. That was our, yeah. We had pairs and rubbers, stationary, like, and then you'd get the odd snack bar and crisps. And no, we didn't have any of that. We used to sell... We used to get oxtail soup for AP. That was the... I mean, the stuff was... Like, uh, how old are you, Brezzy? <laughs> 40. From 40. Are you? Yeah, yeah. And you got oxtail soup for AP. AP, like, yeah, yeah. In the primary school. That was the 80s, like. Oh, the 80s was. Yeah. Pretty... It wasn't that long before. Like, what age you? I'm 31, so I feel like we lived in 40 years apart. The 80s and 90s were very different times, I think. Yeah. I think there were definitely bigger gaps between the 80s and 90s and the 90s mm. and the 90s right the 80s was the 90s I thought was 80s. still cheap like my childhood going to the shop you'd get loads oh yeah yeah you know wouldn't you what was the first <laughs> film what's the story why are you fucking doing that because it just it, I'm just thinking of growing up in the 80s now and I'm like it was such a great era for film outrageous. what was the first what was the first film you went to see in a cinema Back to the Future yeah, say, well, yeah. that's what I say to people it's like imagine seeing Back to the Future for the first time 
where it wasn't, you know, somebody I've seen it a hundred times when it came out and we get to watch it going like 80s movies were just, I don't know, there was something about, there was some, there was an, an innocence about the 80s apart yeah, from yeah. Like the Cold War and stuff like that. It wasn't, the 80s was just, it was just, the music I felt was better, you know, film was just a bit, I don't know, it was something different about it. I mean, I, I was only a kid, obviously, but I think in the 90s then I started getting into grunge music and then. Nirvana? I started hating my parents and, you know, I just went down that. <laughs> Soundgarden? That yeah, I, my first ever band was called Ramsgard. It stood for Rise Almighty no Satan, Come and Rule. So we were Say that metal. again. Rise Almighty Satan, Come and Rule. Class. That was a great That's right up my street. Yeah, I was thrown out of it. Just by name. Oh, you yeah. were in it? I was in it. I was a oh, okay. I thought you I got thrown it. out because I liked ABBA. Oh, you um, like ABBA as well? Mm, so do we. Yeah. That was great. Like my mum always says never trust anyone who doesn't like ABBA. Yeah. I think it's great. a good life. My mum loves ABBA. I love ABBA. Like, what writers? Like, people, and the other thing about ABBA is everyone always goes on about the big hits and all. But actually, if you actually listen to some of the records, there's some, there's an in, name of the game, like that tune, the groove in it, like some of their other stuff mm. is just brilliant. So I'd listen to the records, yeah. my mother would be listening to them the whole time. So, you know, but then it just didn't fit with the brand of being in a death metal band. So I was turfed. But you were into death metal, I was in the band, yeah. But you were into death metal, yeah. Or I was grunge, because grunge it was quite tribal. I was into grunge, but I was kind yeah. of. The only band I could have joined was a death metal band because there was no grunge bands, no rock band. The band is a guy called Dam Damien on the O'Reilly on the guitar. He was Demon on the guitar and John Carnally on the drums, and he lived two doors up. So it was just right. I want to be in a band. I don't care at that stage. I didn't give a shit what it was. So it was it was death metal. So I was also a really shit metal guitarist. Like it's too fast. Like the best mm. musicians in I'm telling you, jazz musicians, <laughs> metal musicians. Yeah, they're yeah, unbelievable yeah. Oh, yeah. players. And he I was in a band. Good enough. How were you in? Empty Train, Dirty Socks. <laughs> Dirty Runners, was it? That's the name of them, yeah. Dirty Runners, yeah. Well, and then Apartment <laughs> 6 Club. It was like a, a hip-hop band. I just played acoustic. Like, in a hip-hop band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was full he just setup. danced. Full setup. He just danced. My brother's first band was called The Glossomy Bags, which I thought was a great name. Yeah, love I used to rehearse in, the, in our sitting room, nice. the punk band. And yeah, so I kind of was exposed to that. My mum was a music teacher. She ah, used to give like sense. lessons in the house. And I remember she was a violin, piano and violin, but she used to give violin lessons. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard violin being learned. It is the worst mm. instrument heard to English. hear. Yeah, well, but violin is Very different, painful if yeah. you can't play it. So I'd be sitting up like studying for me leaving certain to be lads downstairs who just started and it would just be... I, I actually I, I I actually had to leave the house. It was the worst. Like, like a, a, a shit guitar player a just learning. On it doesn't sound too bad, you know. Yeah. You're just still kind of. It just sounds a bit plucky. And <laughs> a piano player, a piano always sounds decent, but a violin played badly by someone learning is one of the most painful sounds in the world. Yeah. Can you play violin? It's a train wreck. A little bit. Yeah. 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 I play like I, I just picked up everything. My oh, have you got that you know, violin? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I can only play my mum's violin. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I played everything. My mum just said, just play. Like, and, and thing I got in sport then, I didn't really like sport, to be honest. I was, ironically, became a fashion athlete, but I, I didn't. It's the height, isn't it? it was, yeah, but it was. All enough, I'll do something. I just got turfed into something. Like, I got yeah. turfed into, well, actually, although I played rugby, Gaelic was always my first love for sport. It was just so simple. I loved it. I still love it. And uh, I played Gaelic Mullingar and I was a goalie and then they put me into midfield and then, then everything started to change. But I didn't, I, music was, I always say sport is what I did music is what I am. Music mm -hmm. does something different, but. What was it like being in, so you played for Leinster, yeah? Mm. Like elite level sport, but were, were you playing the music at the same time? 
I was giving lessons to the some of the Leinster players. Were you? Yeah, on guitar. I remember Philippe Cantepomi wanted to learn guitar at the time. And I was like, I'll give you, like, he, like most rugby players, their fingers are too fat. They're not very good. So, <laughs> I, like, come I, as you are. Yeah. Nothing else matters. Literally everyone in Leinster knew how to play nothing else matters. But yeah, I, I, I did. I was kind of just writing songs and just playing myself, you know, the guitar at home. And then with rugby, rugby was, you know, it is an intense job. Like, I mean, like, but when you weren't training, you were too bollocks really to be doing anything else. And at the time, it wasn't near at the level of what it is now. Like, like it, the sports science has become mm. such a huge part of it. Back then, I remember my coach, Matt Williams, because I was quite skinny for a rugby player at the time. And he said, you need to put on weight. And I was like, oh, what do I do? He said, you eat a slice pan a day. A oh, slice pan a day. The whole thing? A day. Well, but, does that. Which, which sure. I do. <laughs> I do, I do too. <laughs> you, should, you should play rugby then. I'm a bad People used to say that to me. Yeah. You have a great physique for a rugby player. I, you would have you been one of, I tell you, I would put you as a six. Flanker now. What's that now? What's a flanker? What oh, call, call me a wanker. No, no, I, I, put, <laughs> I, I put you six. I think you'd, yeah, I know you'd grow into it, I'd say. But I was like, I mean, I was too, I was too small. I was, yeah. at that time I was 17. Is a six like. the fella that gets the goals now? No, no, no. Goals. I, 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 <laughs> I only went to my first lens like I bear a while back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you so, enjoy it? It was a gig. It was good. Yeah. You can drink, I mean, you can drink in the you stadium, you can't do that. Like, a lot of us don't realise, we're like, we live in a, City with one of the best rugby teams in Europe, like literally, probably are the yeah, yeah. They're unbelievable. Mm. They're unbelievable. Like so, yeah. No, I, I, I love sport. I love sport. I love Gaelic. I love hurling. I love watching it. Yeah, so do I. I don't play it anymore, but I hate playing it. Never I don't play it anymore. We were filming a sketch the other day, and uh, in the sketch, <laughs> we're having a game of football. We're having a game of World Cup. Like four people outfield, just chasing the ball. But we had a little game of heads and volleys in between takes. Great game. I was bollocksed, and I was in goal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get a kick and I was tired. Oh, it's, and the, yeah. the headers and volleys, the rules kept changing depending yeah. on, on where you were. Like we had different rules in Mullingar and different, like Grange had different yeah, rules in yeah, Ballandary. Yeah. And it was like, so headers and volleys was, was all you had. But we'd, I, I remember years ago building a little set of goals in my back garden. And we got, I said my dad was in the army and the, I had nets and everything. My boys didn't know where the nets came from. I popped them out of the barracks. They were like army nets. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. They used for camouflage. So I had to rip the camouflage off them and I had the nets. But yeah, no, it was, it was, I think sport for me gave me some kind of, in, growing up in Mangar, it did give me a group of people to, to learn how to, I don't know, to learn how to socialize, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I was pretty, pretty terrible kid at socializing teenager. When I came back from Israel, I was like, I don't know how to talk to anybody. It was so, the sport allowed me into that kind of, kind of making friends and groups of friends and yeah. having a crack. You lived in Israel for how long? About so about six months. Uh, how old were you? I was thirteen, gone on fourteen when, when we was fourteen, oh. more even. And uh, my dad, I said, my dad was in the army, and like a lot of Irish Defence Forces, that were stationed overseas a lot. And dad was sent to Lebanon at the time for two years, which is an awful long time to be away from your kids. And he was well, maybe listen, maybe he was delighted yeah. <laughs> to walk away from us for two years. But he, he goes, no, you're coming out with us. I was like, cool. Like, big thing to do when we moved out to Israel. And there was complete peace in the Middle East for quite a while until, literally until the day the Breslins landed in Tel Aviv. Yeah. And what is now referred to as Operation Accountability or the Nine Day War or something started. And we drove up into the middle of it, up into the border at Lebanon. And it was like, you could hear the shells. And my dad was driving up into the middle of it every single day. So it was the first time I was like, Life, it was kind of the first time I'd ever left Mullingar, to be honest with you. I'd never mm. been overseas, really, apart from Scotland, where my mum's from. 
that was it. So it was like this eye-opening thing. Living in Israel, uh, an amazing thing. I mean, even things you start learning about your history a little bit. Stuff, when you're living in Ireland, all you know is Ireland. Everything about your history, everything. And then you got there and I heard, the first time I heard about the Holocaust and I started to get into, you know, really interested in different religions. Like, really interested and really curious about them and asking these, you know, uh, different different religions, you know, Muslims and and realizing there was more to life than Irish Catholicism. Mm. And that was really <laughs> eye-opening, you know, it really was. And an interesting point as well, time. So, what, 92, 93 then? 93, we left. The political side of it, like, was so, I just wasn't interested in it was over there at that stage. You know I mean? You weren't, mm. I was just interested in the people. I was just literally, I didn't see anything other than, you know, like it was, that was the best part of it. It was like, you're so innocent. 13, 14 year old, you have no knowledge of any of this. I remember going over on the flight to Israel and there was these Jewish guys beside me, either side of me, and I was put up into the, my mum smoked at the time, and there was a smoking section on the plane, which I was sitting in and the lads said, can we swap seats with you? And I ended up beside these these two guys and for literally for six hours, I started asking about, you know, about the Jewish religion and, you know, speak to me about it. I needed to know, I was absorbing and they were asking me about, you know, Catholicism. And it just, it was very, a really respectful kind of thing but as a 14 year old learning that stuff was because then I came back to the Christian Brothers School and they hated me because I kept questioning them every whole time I was questioning them I was like oh, I don't know about that you know in religion class and they were like I said well what about this and they no time for me I was fucked out religion class every single day because yeah. I kept questioning just everything about not 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 beliefs just everything I was well why are we learning another you know why is this the only thing we're learning you yeah. know and so even at that age, I was t- absolutely pissing my parents off and the teachers off because I was so curious about everything. And I still am. And I think that's when it started. But then what happened was when I came back from Israel, because of what was going on there, I remember one night waking up to hear a woman, a loudspeaker, telling us to get into our bomb shelters because the Hezbollah and the IDF had started shelling each other and you could feel the grounds were afraid, you know, the, the, everything was shaking. I was only like three or four miles up the road. And like my dad coming into the room and saying, listen, I know you're scared, but we're okay. We're safe here. Go back to sleep. And as Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep, honestly. <laughs> go back to sleep there, will you? The, yeah. Don't worry about it. It's only a war. I, I think that's the night the switch went on in my life where I kind of, I, I, I remember, all I can put, my, my, I've struggled for years and years through my teenage years and my 20s with just kind of quite chronic anxiety where it was just not functional. It wasn't normal. I knew it wasn't normal. I used to think I had asthma all the time. I used to get my mum to send me to hospital the whole time to get tested for asthma because I could never breathe. And ultimately, it was just this chronic panic disorder that I was dealing with all throughout my teenage years. But as far as I can remember, that was the start of it. That was the point where I was like, what the fuck? Something like that would trigger it. It triggered it a lot. And then I think, you know, that was... Because I didn't even know how to say what was wrong with me. I remember, as I said, like I used to sit in my mum's book at the Encyclopedia of Health. Uh, It had every disease known, like to man and woman. And like Monday, I'd have appendicitis Tuesday you know I'd be pregnant you literally talk yourself into every disease in the book <laughs> pregnant. when I Before saw Google asthma, was around. I was like, yes yeah. thank god yeah. I found out what's wrong with me but then you found Google yeah I found, no Google was a long time ago if Google was there I would have had probably 45 other diseases yeah. Because, yeah. but that asthma was such a relief and then the doctor told me it wasn't asthma it was puberty and I was like what the fuck and I think that time the doctor knew something knew something it was still at the 90s I suppose where Early days, you, you, yeah. you took to the bed with your nerves and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a fourteen-year-old or fifteen-year-old, he probably should have copped on that if I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't able to breathe. I at that time, I'd you know, I speak quite open about it in the book. I you know, I was falling into things like there wasn't even a word for it at the time, but self harm. 
And that was what was said to me, you know, and that, that was very dejecting. So what I did is I just threw my life into sport. I just, because when I played sport, when I was, whatever, whatever sport, when I was running or whatever, it just stopped. My head stopped. Mm. That was the only time it ever stopped. So that's why I fell into sport in a real kind of, mm. like, a proactive Myself way. Myself and Joe would have our own anxieties as well, like, and mm. we, we I like to do comedy, so we all have our own outlet to, to deal with them things, don't we? Well, I think it's yes. focus. It gets you out of your head a little bit. And I think that's, I think, I mean, for me, locally through the years of work that I've done and therapy I've gone to and my own studies and stuff, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a part of my life now where I look at it, I observe it. And I observe what it was like and I can still feel it. But it doesn't have that grip on me anymore. You know, it's not that, it's not that thing at all. Mm. I always say it's like, you know, if, for years it felt like I was... I was standing out in the pissing rain, but now it kind of feels like I'm in the house looking at the rain and I can control it. Time is uh, a great thing, though. Oh, yeah. It, uh, like, I feel like time is the best thing for it. Time and therapy. Time and therapy, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, therapy, one of the things we do at A Lust for Life, we set up A Lust for Life, I mean, seven, eight years ago. I mean, at this time, people were still not addressing this stuff. And I remember writing a blog going, it is what it is. This is this is the life I've led. And, yeah. And um, we set up A Lust for Life the, charity about six seven years ago and my what's my lust for life what's lust for life? charity so we set it up can the youth mental health charity that i set up with uh you know the charity you set up i mean paul and colin me the big thing for me is i knew one thing for the years of doing this work i knew our health system wasn't going to fix it i knew our health system it just seems utterly dysfunctional i every single day I work with people who've been failed you know in, ter- in terms of mental health and the adequate support systems that are required to help people, you know, and it's not a blame thing. It's just, they just haven't existed. And, you know, we, we don't up until now really, and I hope it does change. We just haven't had those systems. And I said to, we, one system we do have, we have an incredible education system. We have amazing teachers. I will on their side all day, every day. They're teachers and healthcare professionals are the two most important people in our society. And, uh, and then comedians and comedians, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Funny teachers are definitely the fucking most important. Yeah. But um, yeah, we set it up, and we. My aim was to get into primary schools. We're now in eight hundred and fifty primary schools. We'll be in every primary school by the end of next year with this program that That's we've great. created. And you can't be a problem admiration society with this stuff. You've got to do something about it. And that's what I wanted to do was through education. And but then the next stuff is we have to we have to you know I always say quality is the most important form of therapy. We have to create adequate services for everybody. Everybody. And I think that's... Even Joe. Yeah, even Joe. Well, Joe's, you know... I'm a lost cause. Yeah, lost yeah. cause. <laughs> He's <laughs> already... You said it. I went to a counsellor and uh, he was asking me about me problems and I was very uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable around counsellors. I still haven't gone to a counsellor that I'm comfortable with. And uh, I was telling them, I was like, well, I'm having this issue and this is going on in my head. And, and then I looked up to make eye contact with him after telling me story after looking at the ground. I looked up and he was asleep. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Proper. He was asleep. He was asleep. And then there was a... A trainee nurse over there, and I was like, "Is he for, is he oh, no. for fucking real? Like, is he asleep? He does that all the time. <laughs> He's <Even> a narcoleptic counselor." <laughs> I was like, he, I, "I went to him. I was before. really boring him." <laughs> I remember, I was telling you I went before, and obviously your head goes a bit funny sometimes. You have to dissect it like somehow with therapy and stuff. And he he just said it's important to understand that the world is round. And I was like, okay. It's like, so everything goes full circle. And I'm like, that's not what I want to hear. Like, <laughs> I want you to I, give me something to help me. I think life, <laughs> life, unfortunately, we've created this 
madness that life has now been reverted down to an inspirational quote. Yeah, you know that's yeah. a, th- that's it. I'm like, I feel like they just look up Tony Robinson quote yeah, quotes yeah. and say, you know what? In their defense, the right? I, well, I've been lucky that I've worked with therapists who utterly changed my life. Like, utterly, honestly, like, and, and stayed awake. And yeah, stayed awake. <laughs> I had one that nearly had a panic attack when she was when she was chatting to me. But I've been very lucky. Like, my partner is an incredible psychologist. I've seen the work she's done. Good therapy and good psychology is 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 it's game changing, and it yeah. it's tough though. I think this is the issue. The reason it's it's hard. It's a it's it's a longer it's a longer journey doing that stuff. Finding the right one, just say, isn't it? Like if you yeah. find the right person, right person, and and you have to be patient with it. Like you, mm-hmm. you uncover it over time. And I used to get really pissed off because I was like, I was in a position when I was in the voice. I had, like, I mean, I've I've talked about it very openly many times, but I had a breakdown in the voice. I had a really bad. At the time, it was highly addicted to sleeping pills. I was taking, Jesus, I was taking up to 10 pills a day. It was just nonsense. It was madness. And I had this, had this breakdown, essentially. It just, I had a panic attack before a live show, and it, was just, it wasn't pleasant in any way. I had to get up and... Did you go on and do the show? I did the show. Uh, I remember I felt like I could vomit, like I'd smell the vomit, because I was it was really intense and difficult. And I knew that point, that that was kind of the rock bottom. And when you hit that, you have two options. You stay there, you find a way out. And I went to a therapist, went to my doctor first, but went to the therapist and he sent me to the therapist. And the therapist kind of, he said something to me at the start. He said, you know, no one's coming over the, the hill to save you here. You got to do this work yourself. It's yeah. tough. I'm with you though. I'm with you and I'm going to guide you through this. This is going to take time. And I was like, I don't, I want, I, I, I need something. I need, you need to give me something. This mm. is too much. And, and he goes, I'm not the person who does that. Like you, you talk to your doctor about that, but me and you, we're going to go through this. And we went through it. And my fuck, we went through it. Uh, and it uncovered loads of different things and things that we all need to be open about, like an abusive schooling system. You know, that's going to that's gonna impact you. Like it is, no matter, it's going to always impact your psychology because the most basic need of a child is to feel safe. It's the basic need. You remove that from a child. That's why the homelessness issue is so fucking painful to watch because you're removing that safety from a child at that age. That will impact their psychology and it'll, con- it'll continue until somebody helps them. It's the same with like the, the Ukraine. You, you removed uh, uh, safety from a child that will impact their psychology. And that was what happened to me. I just constantly felt I was going to get my arse kicked in in school. Um, I was lucky. I have unbelievable parents. So I was able, but that was what uncovered through therapy. It was like, Jesus Christ, and I, you know, I think that would, that would mm-hmm. create this kind of hypervigilance in you. And that's what it did. I got stuff really you don't realize too, isn't it? Like, just stuff from years ago, like that just switches. 100 with this country, man. Like, well, this country was like... like you know, we still haven't addressed it. This country is mm. like, you know, we, it's just some, you know, we're talking about politics now and this and that and the other. And we're looking at what's happening with the na- National Fraternity War. And, we, you know, you see politicians going, come on, let's do it. I was no, lads, you have to understand the fucking trauma that has been caused by church and state. You can't ignore that. You can't just pretend. You can't just go, ah, lads, it's grand. It's not grand. They haven't addressed it yet. You don't have the systems to help people work through this shit that happened to them. You know, how many friends do you have? Even, you know, older lads like my age or 40 or 50 who are emotionally completely stunted because that was a good survival tool to get them through so that's the thing I says watching what's going on this week and we're back in this conversation about the church yeah well I think it's a knock-on effect as well isn't it it's not like I haven't I haven't been affected by the church directly mm-hmm. but like me parents and their parents may have been affected and it's just a knock-on kind of effect so even indirectly emotionally it could stunt you like, because I don't know. Maybe it's a 
a sociological thing. Like I'd, ne- I'd never hug me ma, mm. or I'd never say to me ma, I love you. Because I shake me ma's hand. Yeah, you know, I high five her <laughs> sometimes. Love you, Miss <laughs> love you. Every Christmas I give her a high five. <laughs> it's, really, it's really beautiful. Lucky, yeah. <laughs> Don't be crying. I'm feeling adventurous. Yeah. Give her a high five. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that kind of comes from, I don't I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's just like a working class thing, like a fucking pull you, it sucks up and leave your emotions at the front door when you leave the house and just go I, to work. I really don't think it is a class thing. I, I think it's genuinely, it is a cultural thing. I think it's a cultural, uh, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s in Ireland, you know, it, it was immensely like that. There were, you know, I'm very close to my parents, thank God, and I, I can have these conversations with them. But I have friends who just can't. I mean, these are people they love the most in the world. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, so that stuff is the stuff I would have worked through. And I always say, like, I said to like my dad when I started talking about it, says I'm not passing the baton on anymore. It's just not. I'm not doing it anymore. I have a nephew that I talk to about all these types of things, and these like are you know, these are very human things. They're, I know they're uncomfortable sometimes to talk about, but we have the tools to do it, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with us for life and, and with the podcast. I'm doing an abseil. Which? For mental health charity. What charity? Uh, Talk It Out. Talk It Out, like, yeah. Doing a charity upsell on the tour of June uh, from the top of Crow Park. And, uh, not a hope of me doing that. Would you not do it? No. 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 You afraid of heights? Not really. I, geez, I wouldn't want to be, but I... Just not interested. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would be. I, no, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. No? Not a fucking chance. I don't know. The, the upsell itself are... But if I had a wall to put my feet against, I might be... Yeah, it's yeah. just the nothingness of it. Yeah, like, what yeah, happened? yeah. It's just like this... Well, I like, feel like maybe I'll get to the top and look down and say, do you know what? I'm not going to do this. I still raise money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, you know? I still got <laughs> money. I don't tend to let Westmead lads into Crow Park too often. <laughs> so, if, you know, if they do. But, uh, you know, I do think, you know, overall of it, I think I think the point is that, you know, especially now, especially now after we all felt the icy hand of, of the pandemic yeah. and what it felt like and all those other things that came with it, this is an opportunity just to talk about this shit, lads. Like, for fuck's sake, just... It is, yeah, you know, of all our, you know, our core emotions, most of them are negative ones. They're difficult ones. But you were, Mm. you know, kids. And I say that as well to watch what I love in Ireland. Ireland's become this incredibly progressive, uh, very liberal, open-minded country. And it's just incredible to watch it. It's just, but I always say not everyone moves at that pace. So, you know, if if you're angry with your parents because they might say or do things that you're not quite comfortable with, you know, understand that they grew up. When shit like this just wasn't in any way addressed at any level. There wasn't, we, we had no kind of social justice, mm. really. So that's why I'm talking about the kind of, you know, we often hear the word woke culture and stuff like that. Be patient with people who might have different opinions. You know, don't just dismiss them. It might just be that they spent 40 years of their life in a particular kind of frame of mind and it's going to take them time to actually to come and, you know, change their mindset around things like, that may have been, you know, back in the day in Ireland, it was, it was just so conservative. Did you say your board was a psychologist? She or? is, yeah. She is a psychologist. Yeah, Mrs. Yeah, yeah. His girlfriend, <laughs> his board, his one, your ma. You can you can call her what you want. What do you call her? She's my partner. Your partner. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you mind if I call her your, your board? Is you, that? I don't want you to call her your partner. She's my <laughs> partner. Yeah, yeah. So it's my my board partner. is a psychologist. It's Bryce's yeah. partner. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and she's in the band with you. She is, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. She's in the band. Yeah, she's you were on the late show on Friday. Were, I was yeah. watching you. Yeah, yeah, there with me, Mrs. Richard. We bored. We bored. We bored. I think the thing about it is both me and Louise work very much with you know with the charity and like in the mindfulness stuff, and she's a psychologist. So it's a, the, our jobs are 
they're they are intense. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say it's intense. How yeah. do you leave? Do you leave that at the door when you go home? Like, what's what's a to. conversation? You like? literally have to. You yeah, have to. and you know the thing. That's why music's so important to both of us because it genuinely it's performing more than anything gives you like you it's like comedy. It's the, it gives you a release. It's, it. it's irreplaceable Great, for me. It? It's amazing. But like, without it for two years, we're better than the antidepressants anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is an antidepressant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think <clears throat> some people. I think as I said, it gets you out your head. It gets you out your head. You get into this thing you're most comfortable with doing, and yeah. you feel at ease with yourself. I think that's why I'm, I miss performing so much. So so did she. And I said to her, the types of stuff that we do, we need that. We need something, and you need boldness as well. I always say this to people: the world has got so serious that we've, you know, it's almost like we're afraid to have fun anymore. And mm. I mean, not there's just that bowled fun and once it's legal but that kind of slightly mischievous cheeky kind of cheeky spontaneity going to the edge all the stuff going on yeah and i think yeah. i think we've created this thing where we almost feel i think we need that side of ourselves i think that 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 is i mean i need it anyway i need that kind of thing like and I, i've mates who are they say some things and are like you're kind of going for fuck's sake like they're they, they they've got Every life has got so serious for them, and it is serious. I mean, people have mortgages, they have kids, all that stuff. But that's some serious well, you, stuff. You, yeah, you need something that might like Louise and me call it film and peas, like film and playfulness. You need that boundness, whatever that is to you. Like, yeah. yeah, you know. And I think that is something I would say to people. Yeah, don't, don't, don't fucking let that go. Like, whatever it is, whoever you do, or whatever your job is. But that's interesting coming from you. That's such a mental health advocate, but also in a rock band, and sure. I mean, I don't even know if there's such thing as the rock star lifestyle anymore. I mean, you can't go around throwing tellies out windows, can you? Yeah, like the Motley crew. No, yeah, but like, I was actually chatting to, just before I came here, my mate Tanya Callan, she's the bass player in Whitesnake. She's Mullingar. She moved to LA a few years ago and now is the bass player and they're playing, they were playing at Three Arena. And, and like, the, the irony, we were sitting there drinking like, Matcha lattes and, and yeah. you know what I mean. Here's White Snake. Where the drugs? At? Yeah, it, <laughs> I honestly, I think the music industry is one of the most. You know, it it isn't. It is the opposite of what everyone else thinks it is. You can't do that. It's actually like with us, it's not so bad because we're not. You know, it's not our full time jobs. But if it's your full time gig to tour, you can't be a pisshead. You cannot be like it's, it's such a tough work. job mm. traveling. And there's fifty other bands that are right well take your take your place and yeah. you hook up. It's not the seventies anymore, you know, and, and the industry's changed a lot. Uh, so I do think that's like if you're touring, especially touring is, a, it's it's a young person's game. I tell you that much. It is one of the most slogging, tiring things. And I've done like toilet tours in the UK where you're playing like you're playing, and I remember being nearly stabbed in Oldham because I wouldn't oh. play Mr. Brightside. Like, <laughs> like, they were like, we're not a cover band. They were like, <laughs> it's like, play Mr. Fucking Brightside. And Jeez. I remember going into our manager. You're the killers. The manager was like, yeah. I said, the guy's nearly fucking, guy's literally threatened me with a knife if we don't play in the toilet. And I our, stop our manager would get the fucking gear, get out. No. Yeah. <laughs> just stood at the front, licking the top of his knife as I tried Jesus to play with the right So, like, we don't. Oh, you played it? Well, but then we did that the next <laughs> We didn't do it. We didn't do the gig. Like, get the fuck out here. And then we went to Hull the next night. I'll never forget it. This was on a tour. We just signed to Island Records and we thought we had it made. We played in Hull the next night, on a Sunday night. And there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't one person there. There was half a barman. That was it. Was he and half? I, he, he literally might as well have been. He was slapped over the thing. And I said to I said to the band, what, what, what do we do? Do we, we we don't obviously don't do the gig like it's a, it'd be silly. And then she goes, we played the best fucking gig we've ever played in our life. And we played like the place was wedged. And the poor barman was looking at us. These unhinged Irish lads, literally 
losing the plot. But these were the tours that really made you. But I remember just thinking, this is just grim. Mm. It's grim. You're eating shit food from service stations. You're not sleeping. You're putting five of you into a bed in Travel Lodge. This isn't it's what like I us, thought it was we, We're be. doing a, a new series, well, a second season of a free gaff for the RT player, and we're just getting chicken rolls on a break. Yeah, that's yeah. not good, man. It's the RT budget, lads. Be, yeah. I was yeah. like you yeah. two weeks ago. The RT look at He was re- he had a six pack last. How will you come out? That's that's a that's a, it's that's only a little. That's a that's a version of a six pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six so. folds. Yeah. Mine's a bit. <laughs> what was the voice like? Was the, did you ever feel bad for not pressing a button? Oh, I think we used to the blinds, and the producers were. They were fuckers. They'd, they'd put the family, you know, you weren't going to pick in front of you. And they'd be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck off. And, and some lads would be like, and I'm like, sitting there looking. So I just close my eyes and pretend I was really into it. But I was just terrified. Why do you think we're really enjoying it? <laughs> I was terrified of the old man going, Look at Brezzy there. You were like that. And, and then if the family were there and he hit it, they'd lose their shit. They're coming like, and and it was, you'd sit there, but like, you'd be, you, you, what you see is maybe eight editions. We'd be a hundred of them a day. Because once again, they were trying to film the whole thing in three days. It was like, mm. so we were half asleep by the end of it. That was in the Helix, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I remember when uh, God Rest Her Soul, Dolores was on the show, and, and me and her would just, like, when it was, we just had these chats. And I remember this this girl came up, and, and she was, she wasn't great now. She just wasn't great. She was very inexperienced. There was something there you would have, but you wouldn't put her through purely because it wouldn't be fair to her. She, she wasn't mm. ready. <laughs> Dolores stood up. I was like, what the fuck is she doing? And she hit my button. And once you hit the button, she's like, oh my God, I'm through. And we had to, we had to go through. No, we did it. We had to, because oh, once the yeah. button, you couldn't do that. Can't Sorry, back, like, Dolores yeah. was having, you know, you know having, having a bit of crack. We had to actually bring, and she actually grew into it. She was, she was actually so nervous. But I remember one girl, one thing I, we were told, to be fair by the producers, was this isn't a place to throw people under buses. We don't oh. do it. If they're not great, find a way to find something that we're okay at. I was like, I wouldn't have done it if it was, you if going it was on that Simon Cowboy. No, I couldn't. Mm. But you couldn't do because, like, even if if they're not great singers, they think they are. It's the first thing is to think was they think they are. There's nothing worse though, is there, than someone that thinks they can sing and then they can't. Oh, but they're but, so confident that they can sing and it's treacherous. Like I think it's me. Yeah, I, th- I think I can sing and then I hear myself. You have like, a note. I think you might have a little note. Oh, you have a note, yeah. but it doesn't sound good. Like I mean, but people can I'm hit a note. There, but they don't I knew good. I wasn't the greatest. I mean, I was. I, mean, I can sing, but I'm not. I'm not like this technically gifted in any shape or form. And then you have people like Dolores, and you're like one of the greatest Irish vocalists of all time. You're like, oh, yeah. fuck! I felt complete imposter syndrome here, t- telling people who are better singers than me that mm-hmm. I wasn't bringing them through. But I'm not about technical singers. I, I said that at the start. I love yeah, like yeah. my favorite singers are like the Clash, Joe Strummer. People like that who aren't great singers, but they're fucking good at commi- delivering a message. Yeah, singing. Yeah. That's the type of singer I like. So I remember one girl sang and she 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 was singing. And the minute I hear, like, there was a lot of cliches. You had a lot of Adele's and you have a lot of... Uh, uh, Whitney Houston was always the big one. And she was singing, I Will Always Love You, which is a cappella at the start. And she was singing. I was like, oh, she's really good. Like, she, like, like I wouldn't, my, wouldn't be my type of singer, but she's really good to sing her. And then the music came in and she was two semitones out. Like, I mean, and the music was, and it, everyone was like, oh my God. Uh, and everybody was like, oh God. And I actually picked her. And she goes, how, I was out of tune. I said, you actually weren't. You missed your cue note. But you were in tune. You stayed in tune the whole time. Even when the band came in, you stayed in tune. It was just the you wrong just tune. You weren't in tune with the band. <laughs> but I kind of tuned the band out Still, myself. I just fixed that and up a little bit. And she nearly won it. 
You know what oh, I mean? Because yeah. she was a brilliant singer, but wow. she and I said, "Geez, lads, I've missed my cue a few times." Like you're, it's you're shitting the dogs. You're in front of a, an audience, four chairs turned re- reversed, and 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 you come out, and she the monitors could get you, whatever. You don't get rehearsal, so she just missed her cue. And like if that was the X factor, she would have been absolutely absolutely thrown under so the bus but we were like no she, she's a great singer and then she went on to the battles and she was amazing did you feel like you were in the presence of a legend sitting beside Dolores yeah yeah, yeah. did you feel that yeah yeah 100% I remember being utterly terrified when she when she joined just because I was like I mean her got quite close and we'd have chats and she'd sit in the dressing room and we'd chat for hours <clears throat> and um yeah, I mean, you you kept kind of tune out the idea of like this iconic, and she was iconic. Her voice is iconic; it is irreplaceable as a voice. Mm. You know, every now and again, you've Sinead O'Connor's, you've her. Mm. They do not come around like that, and uh, yeah, so you really, really was. And I remember she she used to come in for hugs before the live shows every single time, and then when the live show started, you know, she, she'd stand behind me, beside me as we were walking out and calling out, and she goes. I ain't going for a walk. I said, you can't go for a walk. <laughs> we're going. We're literally being called out by Catherine Thomas. She'd be only doing it to wind me up because I'd be. I feel responsible yeah, for her in a way. And uh, yeah, it just yeah, it's just been you know it was a really fun memories of of who she was and the conversations that we had. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my favorite stories about her in the show was we used to do the coaches song, and I fucking hated doing the coaches song because you're essentially getting four singers who are okay singers like can that sing someone to do one of your songs no we no we would sing together as coaches oh, oh yeah, yeah and yeah, perform yeah. together I hated it because I was like right we all have different types of voices like Keen would be a pop singer I'd be you know I wouldn't be a it just never worked it was always awful it was always <laughs> awful and I used to I would have I genuinely think some of my panic attacks were the idea of doing this but of course I was kind of the, the relative nobody on the panel so I, I couldn't go I'm not doing it but then Dolores came and she goes, I'm not doing that. And she went, oh, I fucking hope. She goes, fire me. I'm not doing that. I was like, I wanted it. Oh, I was like, thank you so much. And <laughs> it didn't happen then, did it? Class. No, she wouldn't do it. She Class. Like, wow. I'm not doing it. It doesn't work. It doesn't look. It doesn't sound good. I'm like, I'm one of the greatest singers the country has ever produced. I'm not doing that. Where we have to play a cover of a song that doesn't work because, and, and anyone, even, you know, Dave who was our MD who I loved. He was like, doesn't, it just doesn't work, you know. And then I was in the drums. They put me in the drums because I was because I was too fucking tall to stand beside everybody. I just looked like a pole. It was Stick like him on the drums. and yeah, and Sharon Core. So they basically said put him on the drums so he doesn't look like such a fucking yeah. out of place. But that that I like yeah, I think about her a lot and I think about her a lot. And um, and yeah, it was heartbreaking when 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 she passed away. Mm-hmm. Were you uh, ever approached doing any reality TV? Was I? Because I have been. No, I haven't. Recently, haven't I? This yeah. feels like you want to tell me a story. I want, <laughs> yeah, I want to tell you something because I feel like it's something that you should do and not me. <laughs> is it? Is it? The, is it the feckin' Irish Ranger thing? Hell Week. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. I did get that email. Did you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you say yeah or no? On the fence? I was very. I was very tempted because I think it is unbelievable TV. It is such yeah. brilliant TV and they just seem like... Th- and then my mum, because my, my dad was in the army, he was like, you wouldn't have a hope the Irish Ranger course. <laughs> and I said, like, I bet you I'd be all right. And and then my mum was like, they're screaming at you. I was like, well, they're not going to kill you. You're on TV. Like, you know, yeah. they're, not, they're, they're telling you all this stuff. But still, like, uh, but, oh, I don't know. Like, I think 
you getting approached is is a thing that you could see. You it know, makes that sense. Way. It makes, no, sense. but it makes to me you, you. There's a journey for you to go on. That's the thing. Like you, you, you I'd love to train you. I yeah, love for, to train. It's a week. Do you know like, who trains me? Week. Yeah, but yeah, no, but you'd have to you know train Freddie for the yeah. week. Or I've got to throw him into the middle of it. He's going to. I have think to do that's something. what they want. No? I know. Philly You're McMahon on the boat there. Philly McMahon. Oh, Philly. I will. Philly will get you. Philly would be the right lad to get you sorted for that. Honestly, though, because that's that's the journey you want. You don't want to see someone who was a professional athlete do it. Like, of course, you can do it. You can run. You know, there's a journey to see there. I'd be much more, more interested in seeing you doing it than someone who used to be an intercounty footballer or a professional rugby player. Like, they, yeah. so do I. That's yeah. what, I think uh, when you're watching the Olympics, it's, it'd be great to put a normal person yeah. that's not an athlete in the 100 meter sprint. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he is. Like. He's doing the boxing as well. I get battered. I can't do it because we're shooting something else on you the, see, the same day. Like, but that was an excuse. That was, this is facts. What are you like, shooting? Free gaff, two. Season two. If of you the ask RT really nicely, no, they won't it's move. all set in stone, ready to go, isn't it? Is that true? Mm. What if they said they'd move the shooting of Hell Week? Oh, I don't think they'll do it just for me. What if they did? No. No. Off another shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'd love to see Anna. I think it'll be it'll be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It would be amazing. What do you think? Like, uh, it's. I think it's open to, for me to try and do it again. Do you know when I the would, next run? I think you'd be mad not to do it. Is there you go. is Jeffrey still around? Can we talk about Jeffrey? Oh yeah, Jeffrey is Jeffrey's always around. That's the thing. Is like this is this is a uh, people can think, God, he's his own imaginary friend at forty years of age. <laughs> Jeffrey was what when I finally kind of started getting help, and I went. I mean, at that stage, I destroyed my rugby career, and I remember going back to my rugby coach Matt Williams, <coughs> who coached me with Leinster. I interviewed him on the podcast. And I was really, really in a bad, bad old space when I was playing rugby. Like I, things like I just could, like I wasn't eating and stuff like that, and I was losing lots of weight. And I was taking Xanax going to training, which is hardly a performance-enhancing drug, but I was terrified I'd be drug tested. And um, I remember saying to him, "I said, what did you think was wrong with me?" And he goes, "I thought you were an alcoholic and you didn't care." No, I didn't drink, and I cared so much about it, but I was just wasn't well. And it was, I remember just thinking that and it was quite upsetting for both of us, for him to say that. And he goes, I missed you. I'll never miss another rugby player again. <clears throat> because I knew I wasn't the only one. And you see with Keith Earl speaking now about, you know, it's bipolar. I knew I wasn't the only one. So I, I, I was very respectful for Matt to be able to actually come out and say that. But when I actually went to get help, I decided to name my brain or name my mind. Just because... I, I was terrified to deal with it and I called him Jeffrey and I said, right, Jeffrey, I'm fucking sick of this. Like, we, we, we have been beating the shit out of each other for, you know, 16 years. We need to figure out something here. We can't keep doing this. And that was the starting point and I took out three pieces of paper and I wrote down, like, everything Jeffrey loves, everything he doesn't like, everything I needed to do to get to understand this lad. And that was the, I mean, I never read that in a book or anything. That was just my way of dealing with it. On your own. And then I went into the doctor and I went in this kind of fairly intense I had to move home I moved home with my uh, mum because at the time I couldn't afford therapy that's the honest truth I wasn't Some able to bob, it. yeah I wasn't mm. and, and these are highly trained professionals you got you know you, they, you can't you need they need to be they're, they're like they're, a lot of them are doctors you know like clinical psychologists and I kind of said right I move home save money get therapy and I did and I got to understand Jeffrey how's Jeffrey now Jeffrey's grand, you know, and the thing is, with Jeffrey, the way I look about it is, is Jeffrey's it's, grand. He's grand, <laughs> but it is, it's this stuff doesn't go away. I, the thing is, like I always say, this people, 
you know, I'm immensely comfortable in my own skin now. It's taken years and years of work. It's taken years of therapy. It's taken years of going back to study and learning about my head a lot more and getting in under the bonnet with it. And what's happening now is things, like, for example, that I used to sabotage my life. I used to sabotage every relationship. That was my goal to it. That was all. I kept doing it every single time. Fucking hell. As soon as I got to a certain place, gone. And that was as a result of, because I hadn't a clue what was going on in my own head. I couldn't pretend other people could, couldn't outsource it to somebody else. So things like that, when I started dealing with this, then my relationships got stronger. And this is one thing I've learned on my journey. If you have strong relationships with the right types of people, you can get through anything. And I think it's the beating heart of everybody's head is having good people. Uh, you don't have to have loads of them. Get rid of the people you don't need. Well, it's the people. I Boom, like Joe. Toxic, see you later. Go gone soon, Joe. <laughs> these two, what you don't see is off, off screen. These two lads fucking hate each other. They don't yeah. even talk. So awkward in this room. And then they hate each other as well. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was it. It was Jeffrey. It was like, Jeffrey's part of my life. And, and that's, how I, that's how I hold him. It's like, but Jeffrey, what's going on today, boy? <laughs> Why? And I, now, I haven't experienced that kind of acute journey depression that I went through when I played rugby again. And I'm quite open about it. That was a kind of period of about 12 months, mm. six to 12 months. And, and uh, thank fuck, I, I've never been at that low low again. And that's the thing with depression, people will say, I define it, I can't. I don't yeah. have a definition. Would Jeffrey it. be like, Brezzy, shut up, man, will you? Like, Not anymore. No, yeah, yeah, of course you, Jeffrey. Like, that's the thing is people listen to this going, oh, geez, what the fuck is he talking about? But that was a coping mechanism. That, that yeah. worked really effectively for me because I'm quite competitive. So I got competitive with Jeffrey. I was like, I'm not having this shit anymore. And then when things would happen, I'd have a, like a little internal conversation. I was like, wait, well, why, why, you know, and it, it made, it helped me make sense of everything. And then, you know, now I help other people with that. And, you know, I went back to do my master's in, in mindfulness based interventions and I studied it and can kept studying it and moved in, you know, studying my Buddhism. And, um, I love bringing just that that area, mindfulness is the area that you know I'm trained in and I'm passionate about because it's the area that helped me the most. But the other thing with mindfulness has been fucked around left, right, and center as the solving of all issues. It's not. It absolutely isn't. You people who we call it spiritual bypassing, they're like, you know, they might have this big trauma from life, from early childhood, and they're like, well, I meditate now, so it's fine. But you know, mm. you got to deal with that. Lad. I find it hard to yeah. meditate. Oh, oh man, I was. I sure could sit still. Like, yeah. Darren, I wouldn't. I'd be like, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a good story though. Uh, yes, about meditation. We'll do a meditation in a minute, will we? Uh, no, we won't. That, I don't think that will fly. We can try, <laughs> but I can tell you how I got into it. I remember getting into it at the start when we, doctor, therapist, right, we're going, yeah, we're going, you should try it and see what it's like. But every time I tried to focus on my breath, to be, I can't fucking breathe, I can't breathe, I, I, I'd hyperventilate. And then I got, I got a, like a, like a kind of iPod and I, I had this, downloaded these um, guided meditations. And I go on, yeah. Relax. Put them on. And my dad was downstairs, he was cooking dinner. And uh, I, uh, I, I didn't want anyone to know I was meditating. I didn't want anyone to know. It was embarrassing. Yeah. So I went upstairs and I put it on. And for five minutes, I was like, this is actually quite nice. Actually, all right. It's quite nice. It was like music and it was water. And your mom was chatting to me. And I was like, this is quite relaxing. And then I could hear my, these feet coming up the doors, upstairs, and my dad. And he knocked on my door. And I remember my dad's in the army. And he knocked on the door and he came in and I screamed, I'm fucking meditating. <laughs> he thought I said something else. Oh... <laughs> I'm watching. Oh, no, I'm day. To this day, I'm pretty sure he thinks that's what was going on. And it's less embarrassing for yeah. me to let him think I was meditating. 
than having a wank. It was so easier. Every time, to see, every time we see you, remember that time you were meditating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we sat down for dinner and we were like, they passed us out there. You know? <laughs> just, but that's what, how I got into it. I was like, this is, but I, I'm really wary of people selling it as this thing mm. that there's there's a lot of people who need more than that and need more help and need more supported and guided through stuff and they need to get access to that. So that's one of my other things I'm really passionate about with Lust for Life is how do we create access for people who need yeah. access at every level, no matter what. And I was lucky that I was in a position to pay for a therapeutic journey. Mm. The one I'm doing to upsell for is a, is a non-profit, mm. free. Well, see, the, 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 but like, say, that's like, what's happening now as well. Euro, two euro if you have it. So like, Lust for Life is an advocacy charity. So we decided, right, what, what can we, we create the programs that we can get in the schools. And then you have service providers, which, which are like charities like that, who actually provide the, the counselling and therapy and pay the house and the people like that, that, that you know, without them, because we don't have a health system that's, yep. that, that's, that's catering at that level. They just fall asleep. Yeah, you just, I can't believe they fell asleep. It's mad, How, isn't it, when you think yeah. about it? Like, it was a very boring story. But, no, but to then be again, you got to think, you know, there might have been something going on. I mean, it wasn't highly professional. He was like, playing Pokemon maybe Go. Maybe had two or three kids and had Probably seven, Addy, four say, or something. I'd say he was bollocks, but I mean... Still, I mean, it must you have to be in, the be in the room, man. Be present, like... <laughs> paying 80 euro for you. And did they put you yeah. off? Yeah, well, I mean, I've had multiple bad experiences with counsellors and just kind of fobbing me off to the next person. And you haven't found the right one, though. Like rushing me through, and and it's just I'm just like, oh, I'm never comfortable talking about me, me, me problems, me issues. Brez so, misses us all, you. <laughs> few quid. Well, well, you know what you need to do is it's with therapy. I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I just I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I've had such a good. Nothing yeah. me wrong. I've had, ther- had therapy. I was like, this, this doesn't feel. I don't. I just haven't clicked with the person. But I've had just just incredible experiences with it, and it's. I know I was also immensely ready for it. I was, I was, I wanted it. I think I'm at a place now where it's kind of like what you're saying. You can meditate, but it doesn't actually get rid of the the issue. But I feel like I have it covered up nicely. It's like spraying Febreze in a gaff that just has dirty socks everywhere. Yeah. You're not cleaning the dirty socks, but you're just kind of covering the smell of it a little bit until it comes back. But where I am right now is I'm in a good space, but the shit that has to be dealt with. I don't know how to deal with like it. And same, yeah. like, I feel like eventually, somewhere down the line, it'll come back up. But right now, I'm I mean, okay. I, I had two bad be... stints. Mm. One when I was like 19, and I was, uh, I just went off the head. Like, I didn't know what, do you know, like, I was like questioning things and all, like, like exist. Yeah, like, kind yeah. of that, like. And then it happened again in the pandemic, like. But mm. it wasn't like, I wasn't crippled, but I was like, this needs to be sorted, like, you know, that kind of way. I think I always, I, I learned was that I wasn't able to outrun it. I kept trying. And I was like you, I was getting little pockets where like, I felt okay and like, yeah. I was going all right here. And then I could get into a relationship with somebody or something else and it would literally floor me. And then what would happen is like one one big trigger for me was fatigue. Like so if it was jet lagged or I was drinking a lot. And it was ne- like I've never been a big drinker. I think it was very wary at an early age that I knew that, that wouldn't be it wouldn't work with me. So I mean I like a glass of wine or whatever, but I, I've had to make that decision. And I think the thing about the pandemic, lads, is like, I say to a lot of people, if you're really feeling rinsed right now and <laughs> exhausted and a bit kind of fucking confused and what was that? Yeah. Good. That's a really healthy, that's a really healthy reaction to what was an utter shit show. Yeah. We, you know, we, we, we don't need to make anything enough, out of it. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's a good reaction. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, I also thought it was the idea, like, there was, then we, we started dealing with the kind of mass, the misinformation stuff. We all started getting a bit kind of, almost like we were losing our minds a little bit. 
And, you know, there was a lot of anger. It started out of like, right, let's all come together. And, and then it became anger and mm. it became really un, un, nearly difficult. And the point being is that the people listen to this now going, to, and they mightn't be talking about it, but they might go, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal here. I feel there's something like for me, for example, socially, I've become useless, like mute. I, 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 I'm doing so, all right now. I'm doing all right now because it's like, oh, like the sweating started with the minute I walked. No, but you know what I mean? In groups of people. Mm. I'm shit at it too. And I'm, but I'm not, I'm, I'm usually all right with that. And after the pandemic, I just became useless. Like mm. literally useless in social situations. I used to go in, like even if the shop was busy. I went to Carrick Mines there the other day. It was packed. I was, what the fuck? And I've never been like, like I've never had that kind of social anxiety. Mm. It's like, what's going on? And then I thought, that's what I'm talking about, mindfulness and Jeffrey. Mindfulness gives you insight. So I was able to go, right, of course you're a bit like that. You know. Do you think it's down to, like, someone might recognize you? Yeah, like, well, yeah. You, that's you what know? I, I know, no. I mean, it's... Like, is that, is no, that I mean, a thing I'm, in the back of your head when you're around, like, someone that's like... No, because most people are sound, like, most yeah, people yeah, are grand. Yeah. They'll just, like, there's no... I don't know, I'm, I'm generally... I'm generally, I was all right at that stuff. I mean, like, like even, like, it's not like an absolute disaster, but like even like restaurants, busy restaurants, I've, don't know, I, I just have, I have a gig now um, with the band and like, even that, I'm in my head, I'm like, it's a big room crowd. And I just, it's just because I've been conditioned for two years, I've been like, oh, yeah, you can't stand beside that lad. It's the easier way back Everything in. I think everyone yeah. just needs to ease their way back And in. I'm bringing my parents to the gig and I'm like, yeah, ask me to go. Yeah, I asked you to yeah. go, and you said you would, and I, I, I asked you. It's in the you academy, isn't it? Me. I fucking did. You asked me to I go. I asked you. I didn't even get a reply. Did I sent you a DM. Yeah. Did you on Instagram? Yeah. Probably in your request. <laughs> I'll I, have a look. I'm sorry. Where's that? Where's I'm that a busy DM? man. Like a lot of people are texting yeah. me. Come on. Flat out he is. <laughs> is it in uh, the academy? Is it? It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so it's the spot. album launch, and we've like this is all we could do. Like we said, we remember at the start middle of the pandemic, we're like we obviously couldn't rehearse, couldn't gig. And we kind of accepted it very quickly that it's going to ask me and going to be gigging. Until this is over, there's going to be no gigs. Just off as we, you know. we just knew, like, like how could you have gigs? It's just, yeah. it goes against. So there wasn't an element of acceptance. And at the start of the pandemic, like, we did a few things. Like, we did the, we're the you know, we're the support act. We did things like, we thinking about the crew that lost their jobs. Like, I was like, what we can do is we can, do you want to make a record? And they were like, nope. Because that's a huge commitment to make an album like a body of work of, it takes a lot of fucking, a lot more than people probably realise. So I said to the lads, we've got to do something and sit in our holes here, giving out but not gigging. And we started making the album and uh, I'm really proud of them, really proud of them to do that. Uh, and just releasing the album then. Uh, sometimes we see more in the dark as the name of the album. The title of the song, the album. How is many songs is on it? Ten. What's the story with that? Albums used to have like 22 songs on them. But, but they were all in intervals. You know what's also happened with albums is because people just release singles now. If you're in a band or you're an artist, I think you have a duty of care to release bodies of work, so an album. Yeah. And like you could do a 20 song album, but if it doesn't make sense, if all the songs sound totally different, you need to kind of have a tread through them. And I mean, most albums are now eight to 12 songs. Um, I mean, you're giving them away anyway. You know, they're, they're, yeah, they're yeah. a totally different industry than it was when, you know, maybe there was for like Smashing Pumpkins. Um, released a double record I remember in the 90s one of my favourite albums um, Melancholy and the Infinite Sad Sadness that was like 44 songs but bands it's just too expensive like to, yeah. to, to make a record like yeah. a record 20 or 30 G grand before you know of just recording it and, and I produced That's it with, with Aidan and Rory and so we, we saved money there but it's expensive yeah. and then you give it away 
Oh, but you make money off it. And then yeah, you do, you do the yeah. gigs and you <laughs> get a few bob and hold in front of zero people. And get like lads pulling knives on you because he won't play the killers. Yeah, yeah. Play the killers. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, intros on a song? Because oh, the yeah. attention span for people listening to music, the song has to start straight away now. They've gotten rid of intros. When bores get to the chorus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you that see, was that was very much, you have to ask yourself when you're writing songs, are you structuring this song for radio? Or are you mm. structuring it for music? So, like, sometimes musically it makes sense to have a longer intro. You kind of create a mood and you bring people into it. But if you're if if you're hoping to get radio play on a song, you can't be at that. Like you, yeah. you, you got to be in within 10, 15 seconds. Mm. It's uh, they call it, what was it the uh, the premature? It is like it's it's that I can't remember the phrase of it. But it's like premature ejaculation, but it's but, but songs you got to. It's like it's when it's good to be able to come fast. Yeah, um, and that's <laughs> that's it's also that a was, bad thing. The producer said to me, "It's just like." You, you know that's what you want with your music. Like, what? It's just like so what you, you could, say that for? You man? Could totally get that the wrong way. But yeah, that, that to me is structuring music. That's what production is. So I'd sit there and I'd say, "Is this flowing right? Does it work? Is the chorus working?" And we have a song in the album that I love. That was the last song called "Great Party." You're not invited. Uh, you are invited, by the way. Just, you. just in case I'll you just get it. check me the end. I'll get back to you, man. But it was about Boris Johnson. It wasn't. It was about the kind of political class that you know basically fucking broke the rules that they made consistently throughout the pandemic. At every level, and people would go, "Ah, oh, it's not a big deal." I said, "It is a big deal because if we keep letting them away with this small shit, they get you, they've a rampant. That's what you create a self entitlement, you you a non accountability, and that's what we did." And Boris Johnson was on another level. Like the lads here made it definitely fucked up a few times. Boris Johnson was having raves. Like yeah, he was the nineties. Like he was he the nineties rave days there. And the songs about I don't know if you read, read, read George Orwell's Animal Farm, which is about. The political class, and oh, you have. that's what the songs he about. would have. I've never, I, you'd love before, but it is. I mean, big Sinn Fein supporter, you'd, you'd, you'd definitely be. A, you should read, read, read. To be honest, I don't give a bollocks about politics. Yeah, I, about politics. I haven't a brace, it just was good content. <laughs> that <I'm talking laughs> it's about. the fact that you've now become the post boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's, been right, yeah, it is what it is. Like. Oh, yeah, but that song was that's what I mean. Like, that had this big long intro, and we're like, oh no, lads, this this really feels like a real hooky track. Like, let's let's just. You know. We can write a song for you if you want. I'd say you'd be brilliant. Love is in the air. It's already a song, man. It's actually copyright. Yeah. Oh, well. We'll have to cut that out. Don't have the rules for that. <laughs> What's your favourite band at the minute? What's your favourite meal? My favourite. What's your favourite? Money Mess. Favourite band. Last one or a time. Slows them. <laughs> Full Peck are one of my favourite bands. Never heard of them. Uh, are they Irish? No, they're not. They're like a myriad of musicians in America, but they just. Their music is just joyous. It's just joyous. They're all deadly musicians, but they're like it's like oh, it's like funk. It's like funk, but they're all these savage players. Like Joe Dart, the bass player, is just outrageous, and then a guy called Theo Katzman in the band, and they're just joyous. They're like I mean, they just make you smile from the minute you put it on. And yeah, I listen. I listen to that nonstop. I've been around a while, like throughout the pandemic and did you ever play a festival or play a gig where there was another band and you were starstruck by them yeah who James Brown <gasps> we played Oxygen when he headlined it and we played the main stage that afternoon early afternoon and never forget it we were getting the bus back into town from from Oxygen like at not even a tour 12 bus 12 o'clock at night no 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 it was it was a bus full of musicians but it was all James Brown band all right band and all like, these lads would be the best musicians in America. Like these lads, like they're, they're another level. We're sitting there drinking like 
fucking like beers and eating like chicken goujons and this thing. And James Brown had just come off stage and they were being put onto it. And he just walks by and he just waves at all his band on the bus. And I just remember going, what the fuck? Like it, that was, it wasn't long after he passed away. Um, so it was a real dream. But the big one for me personally was, I'll tell you the story, the mad story. We, and I'm not doing, oh, look, we, like, we, we had a couple of amazing gigs and we supported Oasis in, in Slane. And that day, there was, you know, it was, I was an amazing, we were huge Oasis fans. And we came off stage and this guy came up to us. Do you want to support ACDC next week in Punchestown? And we were like, what? He said that the other, the other head, uh, support act, the drummer had broke his collarbone. It was Tim Lizzie had broke his collarbone and we needed a replacement. And I went, no. And You said no? That's like, why? I said, we will be fucking eaten alive. We are not a rock, we're not like a, a uh, rock band, metal band, whatever. And Deck looked at me and goes, if you fucking, if we lose this opportunity because you can't. And I, I didn't sleep for a week. We took the show and he didn't sleep for a week because there's people sending us death threats. I swear to God, there was, no, there was a talk show on radio about what the fuck are the Blizzards doing? Supporting, you know, the biggest rock band in the world. And we were like, I was like, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. I, I, I was so sick. And at that time, it was... I was a mess anyway. So Jeffrey was like beating the bollocks out of me for the week. <laughs> and then it was Deck actually, our drummer, who I grew up with. He was just looking at me, don't let a couple of pricks. He said, the difference between us and that lad abusing you is he can tell his, his grandkids that he gave out about you playing with ACDC and you can tell your grandkids you fucking played with them. And I remember that was the thing that hit me. Mm. And I, I will do it. And I walk, it was the week Michael Jackson died. And I walked out and I said to the lads just before he walked on stage, no gaps between the songs so they can't boo us. Like that was the whole thing. Mm. Don't play the hits, play the heavier stuff that no one knows. Just, just do it. And we got out and we played it. And you know, nobody was really, there were 70,000 people there. No one was really cheering. They were kind of, and I, I remember going, I got some guy booed at the front. I went, what the fuck would you do? Like, what would you do? And he was like, well, fair enough. <laughs> then I started playing Beat It by Michael Jackson, you know, as a tribute. And, all of the metalers like there. Let's start getting so, yeah. like, oh, We might have them here. We might have them to a point as much as we could have them, and then play the rest of the set. And they gave us really lovely. They were lovely. Like they knew we shouldn't have been there. We knew we shouldn't have been there, but we were there, and we we took it. And we walked off stage, and then met Angus Young, and he. I had my guitar. I wanted him sign to sign it, and he said, "Brave thing to do." He said, "Everyone who plays with us gets the same treatment." And I remember just walking off and just getting into my car when we should have celebrated because I hadn't slept in a week. And I drove straight home and I just fell into my bed and slept for two days. Did you not stick around for the show? Uh, no, I watched ACDC. Okay. Like, I, I literally, I was so, it was just so wrecked at that point because it was such a nerve wracking. But that was the one that I still look back on and I was really proud that we, we stood up to it. Mm. But it was petrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Where was it? Punchestown? Punchestown, yeah. And it pissed rain for the entire ACDC set. We didn't mm. get one drop of rain. I remember <laughs> during the set, basically the stage opening underneath me and it was there was a fucking train underneath me. Like their stage. Coming up this, like? No, it was, it was basically like a, a train that comes out, but it comes up this way. So the stage was built. And I was like, I know I haven't slept in a week, but there's a fucking train underneath me here and on the stage. I was, <laughs> kind of looking at it and then your mom was giving me the thumbs up as in it's okay it's part of the stage and like it's in the middle of the song so yeah there. I think that's the shit that makes you that's you know? class that's a number I, I can't say I've met anyone of that 
that caliber. And yeah. not just met them, but just but like opened up. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Not just gig. yeah, not just like met them. We yeah. didn't have but a heart to heart with them or anything, but it was like, you know, fair play to you for doing it. Like that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, that was that's a tough gig. Yeah. Because yeah. there was another Irish band called The Answer that were supporting them around and the lads were saying it's so hard because the, the ACDC fans are so passionate about ACDC. But they were lovely. They actually, you know, they I think they got it after two songs, right? Right, fuck them. They're taking their opportunity. Did he sign the guitar? He did. Yeah. He got it? Yeah. No, I'm here. Buy it off you. Yeah. <laughs> buy it all. I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a support act for your show? Oh, we don't. We call them special guests. Oh, special, special guests. Because okay. they've been... Yeah, we have Amy, who's actually... Her manager, Jill, was looked after me when I was with the Blizzards when you were at Universal. She's one of the kindest people in the music industry. Uh, so Amy is an unbelievable singer. And then... Uh, a guy called Cody from Mullingar. So we always, as much as we can, try to get Mullingar. It's a lot um, of talent coming out of Mullingar, isn't it? Unreal. And I don't it's know certain. what it is. It's just, it just kind of just tips away and pe- people kind of often say that. And people like Michael O'Leary from Mullingar and it's like, it's just no one ever noticed us for so long. You know, we were just in the corner there. We I like, didn't even know it existed. You know, exactly. It was like, you were at, at loan was... Joe Dolan, Mullingar. I used to caddy for Joe. Did you? Yeah, yeah, Joe. I used to caddy for him back in the day. He used I to, fucking love Joe Dolan. Yeah, uh, Dolan's an icon. And a, he was a gent. He like he was really kind lad. Like and he, yeah. So he's caddy for him, and he lived didn't live. You know, family just lived up the road, and his family still live up the road. What do you mean, caddy for him? Golf? Yeah, golf we used caddy. To go to the golf club, and we get like. Were like, you a golf caddy? Yeah, we, we were like caddy shack. We go out there like and and just stand around till somebody would hire us. And then Joe would always bring like really rich Americans, and and you'd you'd always want the caddy for the Americans. Get a so tip. Give you twenty quid. Ooh, twenty quid. <laughs> like, get twenty tip. quid. And they would yep. be. This was when Oxtail Soup was AP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were well. So. A little past that now. It wasn't child labour, but we were like <laughs> 16, 15, 16 years of age getting twenty quid for a round and like three, four hours, and then they'd, they'd give you get your dinner, and then you'd walk home. So it was like caddy shack, and we. You used to always know the richer Americans, so you'd be nearly the lads would be killing each other to get to get mm. caddying for them. They're all wearing gant. That's mad. Yeah, the rich ones wear gant. But Joe was the start of it. Joe was the and then the Swarbrick brothers of like Eurovision and all. So I mean, one of the guards always had a music vibe thing going on, and then obviously Niall just Niall Horn just Jesus, yeah, yeah. into orbit. But there yeah. was like bands before, like you know, it's the academic. You know, they're one of yeah, 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 um, good. Flynn. There's like there's not an Aslan, Aslan. <laughs> they're from my town, Bingles. We've supported Aslan many times. Yeah, supported, yeah, we supported them in them. Um, remember first seeing supporting them in Mullingar, and that was my kind of eye opening to what a frontman was, and how a frontman needs to literally. Because up to that point, we just done gigs of people who just stand there going, "Thanks for coming," um, you know. And <laughs> Joe's like our um, Christy just literally. I was like, "Oh, that's what you got to do. Yeah. You literally have to." Own the audience, but, but like <laughs> watch it. All of this, he has everybody. Yeah, so he I has started, the ring. Though, doing yeah, that with the what the fuck is that, Prezi? No, but I, it, it did. It was him and Mick Pyro from Republic Loose were the first two people. I was like, Republic that's Loose, how man. to be a frontman? Class. That's oh what God. you gotta be doing. Yeah, yeah. Shows. They, they just Loose up, were amazing. They up they? the game. There, this is the tomb of the Jews. I would say was one of the best Irish albums of all time because nobody was doing that shit. Yeah, yeah. and Mick. He's one of the most talented musicians I have ever met in my life. I used to watch him. We, used to, we did gigs with them. And he'd be sitting backstage and he'd be like, eyes closed and he'd be asleep. And they'd be like, Mick, you're on. And he'd open his eyes. And I mean, it just owned the place. Mm. Owned it. And he'd all savage musicians. So I remember the same thing. was Christy and Mick were like, okay. I remember saying to the lads, we really have to up our game here, lads, because we're not at the races at all. 
and we we got back in and I said and, and I remember saying to Christy, what? Like how do we you know, he goes, gig, 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 gig. So you don't you don't try to do this shit in rehearsal room. You don't learn this stuff in rehearsal room. And he was right, we just started doing gigs everywhere. Like I mean, anywhere that anyone would take us, we do gigs. Mm. And it was just to learn our craft. And that was because of Christy. Will you stop playing into uh, me like we're in a relationship? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Tell us more about how you went to America. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, uh, like a really close fucking move over a bit. I'm sorry. He's trying to make up for the fact that I said you don't like each other. Tell us more now about how you went to America. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I went to America once. Um, no, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been over and back quite a lot. I've traveled a lot there. I do a lot of work with the, the podcast. But obviously couldn't travel. But went back traveling. Went back to America last two, two, three weeks ago. Where'd you go? I was speaking south by southwest. So oh wow, that was, uh, was my kind of that was kind of the thing I always wanted to try and do is to speak there and um, or play there. But I ended up speaking on uh, mental health musicians. So like how we can better look after creative the creative industry. So that was a massive buzz to go over. Austin is this off like unbelievable. Like Austin is this. A unbelievably liberal city in Texas. Mm. It's a complete outlier. Mm. It's like Texas is as conservative and Republican as you can get. And um, your man Alex Jones had a his you know um, had his truck parked outside the Capitol building in, in Austin. And I just remember going, it's just such a weird because it is so it is it's like it's like San Francisco almost in Texas, but it's one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life. Just unbelievable and tiny not that big like amazing music one of those places are you walking down the road like it's like i don't know if you've ever been to new orleans but it's it's just it's music everywhere every mm. at two o'clock in the day there's bands playing everywhere two the, the windows two open, in the morning you can hear it. which two a.m <laughs> two in the day you've bands blues bands it's just it's just the whole thing and the thing there as well i was in america they drink but it's not it's not the culture yeah, yeah. they don't get welded like it's just yeah. like they go in and they watch bands and they, they have chats so it's a, it's a far more social thing but yeah no it's, it's, it was an immense but then I was convinced I'd get COVID because I could still everyone's getting the COVID Can Do I that. ask I just kind of wanted to talk about grief just for a second because I don't even know what it is to grieve Yeah yeah Is it crying? I mean I don't know I think it's I think it's subjective I think is grief it? well I I mean we've, like everyone's lost someone they loved it's fucking torturous Mm. it's a really torturous pain it's a different type of pain it's you know I I think as well there's there's layers to it because there can you can bring things like guilt into it and shame and other stuff and I I think grief for me was like like I've seen friends I've lost friends and I'm kind of I, I don't fully understand it the one thing I do feel about it is you need to express it I don't think you can internalize it I think that's when it gets really difficult when you internalize it and you you, you repress it. I think grief is something that has to be expressed. Uh, and it, it mightn't be crying, it might just be talking, it might be just working yeah, yeah, it out yeah. and going through yeah. it. It might be, I don't know, it might be, I don't know what it is. I think for me it was, it's, the idea of loss is is a terrifying thing, but it is, you know, the Buddha always says it's impermanence. Change is inevitable. We age, we lose people we love. Like the first noble truth of Buddhism is that Suffering is an inevitable part about being a human being. A oh, fucking terrible opening line for a, for you know a doctrine, but that 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 is the reality. And grief is part of that. Like none 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 of us avoid it. We're all you know we all lose people we love dearly, and I think that is the confusion. The, the other thing the Buddha calls it is the the the, 
the second arrow of suffering. The first arrow is the, the inevitable stuff like grief, stress, relationship issues. The second arrow is it's my fault. I should have done more. I wish I did this. I wish I did that. I should have done that. That's the second arrow. And when you start firing that second arrow, it gets far more painful. So what they teach in Buddhism is don't fire that second arrow. The first one's hard enough. You know, it's like Star it. Wars. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what it is. So <laughs> Buddhism's exactly based on. That's you probably know. what Star Wars got it from. Just yeah, yeah, hundred percent. The Buddha. Yeah, the Buddha got it. Like, but it is. It's to me that grief is the one thing that I've. I like. I've a few close friends now that are in grief counseling. And grief counseling is really important. I think it really helps There's people who are highly trained in, in what to do. And if you lose someone you love, you need to find a way to not internalize that. Mm. And I think that is... You have to bring it to a front and... You do, and talk yeah. about it. It's fucking, instead of like said, storing it. Which? Instead of storing it and moving forward. Like I don't think you can store it. Like. I think it comes back <laughs> yeah. in you. And I think it's... Because people have lost... You know, I said, even watching my uncles and my mum not being able to bury him. Mm. You know, there, there's your second mm. arrow right there. Like, You know yeah. what I mean? Not being able to go to the funeral. He'd passed away in Glasgow. She couldn't even get over them. Yeah. So there's another layer of suffering that comes with that. So I think that's the stuff that I, I, I think about a lot in the pandemic. You know, yeah. when Boris was out partying, people couldn't go to funerals of their loved ones. Yeah, no, that was mad hourly. I think it's a thing in Irish society that we don't know how to deal with death properly. I think it's like, okay, as soon as you go in the ground, go soup to the pub. Sambos, soup get, and sambos. Yeah, soup and sambos, few scoops, and then like, just get over it. Harry like, was great, it, wasn't he? Harry was great. He loved Man United. But you know why that is? Because <laughs> we're really uncomfortable with other people's pain. Mm. So if you come to me in a pub and go, um, I, I'm really a bit, I, I go, oh, do you want a pint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't, why can't I just hold that conversation with you? Because I'm not uncomfortable with that. You could fuck that me all day, every day. It wouldn't bother me. Yeah. I'll have that conversation. But more importantly, I'll just listen to you like, and, and watch you get it out, like, and yeah. watch you express it. And that's, that's where we got to get to. We need to be comfortable with people kind of, you know. We'll get there, though, don't we? We'll get there. No, we will. But like, it's, it is. It's grief is a, is a, Grief is an interesting... As Freud famously said, Irish people can't be psychoanalyzed. You know. Did he famously say that? Yeah. One, <laughs> one race of people he couldn't psychoanalyze. Freud. Freud. And then Deepak Chopra says we're a cathedral for, for the tortured soul. Oh, Freud really? Mayweather? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you say Floyd? Fro Floyd, yeah, yeah. yeah Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, no, yeah absolutely. I think, you know, you know, he I'm talks sense. sense. I'm joking. <laughs> Freud. Freud Mayweather. Freud Mayweather? But yeah, no, it is. It's the stuff we... Anyway, it's the shit that makes us human. That's that's uh, that's it. Like, I mean, robots take over in thirty years. Oh, we know all about that. Oh, yeah, the shit we had we a chat there recently yeah. about that. Yeah, who did you chat about robots? Oh, we were just talking about the was it Facebook? That Facebook had two robots and they were communicating to each other in uh, human language, but they found a more efficient way of communicating with each other with their own language. In their create. own language and the plug. Facebook thought it was just gibberish, but they realized that there was a pattern to it and they actually made up their own language and then they killed the robots they killed because them. they were talking about taking over the world but they weren't talking about I that I embellished it a little bit the, the ending is up for interpretation but it's fucking terrifying really though yeah and like, then yeah. space that's another thing that gets me all the time doesn't it Joe that sends him into a tizzy what gets you about space the vast I want to know everything and I can't it's just massive like mm. do you ever think of that like not really. I, uh, literally, not until you've said it there. That I've what? Space. Why I am I thinking that? I thought that was just a, a human. It's kind of like thing to you about. would be afraid to go down the abseil of Crow Park because there's nothing underneath you. 
That emptiness is what's terrifying. The emptiness of space is infinitely more terrifying than... It's not like terrifying. It's just like... What in Crow Park? Yeah. Space is more terrifying than the top of Crow Park. Yeah, I'd, 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 be, I'd, be, I'd be with you at that, but I've never really thought about it that much. And it's just like, it's, don't start. Yeah, no. I, 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 I figure out. Like, you have enough going on. Place, yeah, you have enough going on. Maybe that's where your existentialism is going from if you can keep consistently keep talking and thinking about space all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but can switch it off and just go, oh, let's play FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Brezzy, I think, I think we'll call it a day there, will we? Literally. Be happy with that? Yeah. yeah I love Good chats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Made a big sweaty arse of me. It's a very sweaty arse seat. Yeah. yeah. It's one of them. Yeah. It's got <laughs> one of them sweaty arse seats. Right when I see this one, my back's like a fucking, like the Liffy. You'll have to peel me off this chair. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> big sweaty hole of me. <laughs> Cheers, lad. But thanks for stalling it, man. Pleasure. Thanks for, do you like that? Love that. Thanks for stalling it. Yeah, it's a good start. It's a good end. A bit cringy. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Peace many ways. Thanks for uh, stalling it with me, Joseph McGookin and Brezzy. What an episode, huh? <clears throat> I thought you were saying you were Joseph McGookin. What the fuck is he on about? You said me, Joseph McGookin, didn't he? Me, Darren, He said, thank him, you Joseph, for coming and- to the podcast with me, Joseph McGookin and Brezzy. It sounded like you were saying me, Joseph McGookin. Me, Joseph McGookin. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, but I said me, I, there was no, Joseph McGookin. No comma. Yeah, you missed the comma. We need a knock for Thomas. Stalling it uh, to yet another very special or episode. Even, uh, m- with me? With me? Yeah. There you go. Pause. Pause. Apostrophe. Yeah. It's apostrophe. Too long. Pause. Yeah, that's, that's me. Now it's a different. That's me. a full stop. With, with me, him, <laughs> and Brezzy. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Stalling is a Go Loud original podcast proudly sponsored by Smidix. Grab a point of Smidix if you get a chance. But visit drinkaware.ie to know all about responsible drinking. Would you like the... Do you want to sing that, the intro? Do you know the intro? I do, but I'm not going to sing it. Why? Have you got a guitar to play with you? Ah, fuck, do we have a guitar? I started a guitar. I swear to God I was going to bring the guitar. <laughs>